Most of the people who settled the early American colonies are shrouded in mystery more than three centuries later. Records are scarce, and while we do know a good deal about the famous people of the era, we possess little that illuminates the lives of the ordinary folk. What little we do know comes from the stories, letters, and diaries that survive. We know they came to America in sailing ships, crammed with people, animals, and whatever belongings they could bring with them. Sickness, including the near-constant nausea from being tossed by the waves, plagued them. Many died on the way, never reaching the new world at all. They brought a piece of the old world with them, with their histories and their traditions. They brought their hopes, dreams, fears, horrors, and faith in the new God. Some escaped persecution for their religious beliefs, and some of them were the persecutors. They left Europe at a time when thousands were being accused, tortured, hanged, and burned for being witches. And they came to America for a fresh start. The new arrivals on these shores knew about witchcraft. They feared it and maybe experienced it or even practiced it firsthand. They brought their beliefs and the supernatural with them to their new home across the sea. Some came to escape the devil only to find him waiting in the woods, forests, and fields of America. As one old New Englander said, reflecting late in his life about his decision to come to America 50 years before, he'd come to the new world to free himself from the evil forces of his former home, but to his dismay, he stated, I found here a devil to tempt and a corrupt heart to deceive. And he wouldn't be alone in this belief. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to our new season, Woods and Fields Dark and Wicked, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. We have a long road ahead of us this season, traveling to America's forests, farms, and fields with tales of witchcraft and hexes, cults and curses, calamities and cannibalism, massacres and mysterious disappearances, and have more magic, mayhem, sinners, and spirits than we've ever offered before. So sit back, light a candle, and let us introduce you to the American Witch. Witches seem to be plentiful in America. Stories, rumors, legends, and gossip about witches spread from farm to farm and village to village throughout the colonies. Witches could be found among the settlers, but worse, there was real terror about black magic being produced by the Native Americans among them. These fears stretch back to the old world. A large and constantly expanding amount of writing about traveling in America had cast the Native Americans as devil worshipers, even though the First Nations people had no idea who the Christian devil was. Community leaders and preachers called them minions of Satan, conjurers and consorters with evil angels. Most of those accusations came about because of the Native American practices of traditional medicine, which, as we'll find out, would be suspicious no matter who was doing it, as the Africans arriving on American shores would also discover. Small groups of Africans been arriving in the British colonies as early as 1619. Of course, they were immigrants of a very different sort. 
since they'd been kidnapped from their homelands and transported to America against their will. Even though they were held in bondage as slaves, they would always fall under suspicion for their persistence in following the traditions they brought with them to America. In their homeland's magical practice, including witchcraft and sorcery, had been central to the supernatural belief systems of the people. To the colonists, this was something to be feared. Many writings of the period refer to conjurers and poison doctors among the slave population. There were references to magical practices, to charms, invocations, and substances such as powders, roots, and herbs. And while most of their magical practices were confined to the black population, white slave owners and townspeople feared harm from the sorcery practiced by their slaves, and with good reason, let's be honest. However, on far too many occasions when a white person died under mysterious circumstances, slaves were often blamed. Dozens, if not hundreds of slaves were suspected, accused, convicted, and put to death for alleged acts of poisoning or murder by magic. But it wasn't really the indigenous people or the slaves the colonists truly feared. Diabolical danger, they believed, would be coming from their own kind. It was the dark arts produced by the settlers themselves. You see, the most dangerous witches were those found within their own ranks. Despite how it seems, though, witch mania wasn't running rampant through all the colonies. In the central colonies, along the Mid-Atlantic, for example, concern about witchcraft rarely led to any official action. In others, especially Puritan New England, it was a deeply rooted, malevolent presence. Their formal accusation involving whole communities and generating full-blown legal proceedings remained plausible, even likely. The most relentless persecution of witches in England took place when the country was dominated by the Puritans. So it's no surprise that most American witches were hunted down in New England. While a deep faith in the new God provided much of the courage and endurance shown by the founding members of the individual colonies, their faith often veered into fanaticism. Their religious beliefs forced a strict adherence to the word of their God, and they would not tolerate anyone who questioned even a single passage in the Bible, including the Old Testament verse about not suffering a witch to live. Few other regions were so fanatical, and yet witchcraft was still reported elsewhere in the colonies. Virginia was the site of the first British settlement in America, and Virginia was also the source of the earliest surviving report of witchcraft. In 1626, the colony's general court heard charges against a woman named Joan Wright, a so-called very odd woman who told fortunes, usually about someone's impending death, and uttered mysterious threats to anyone who crossed her. This included a man who failed in hunting despite, quote, coming to good game and very fair to shoot at, and another man whose plants were all drowned. She was also accused of having made an entire family dangerously sore, whatever that means. But most stories of witchcraft in this region came not from chasing witches, but from court cases in which people sued other people who accused them of being a witch. There were about 20 of these, with roughly even splits between acquittals and convictions. Punishments, when ordered, typically involved paying a fine or making a public apology. Well, there are records that exist about the kinds of accusations made against alleged witches. They usually involve curses and spells. 
like one woman who was said to have uttered a, quote, kind of prayer against her neighbor that, quote, neither her nor any of his family might prosper. Shortly after, sickness overtook the neighbor's family. Another man claimed bewitchment of his cow, and another, injury to his horse, and yet another, the sudden and mysterious death of some chickens. Several described experiences of being ridden like a beast of burden by supposed witches over long distances, usually at night. One incident like this left the victim, quote, wearied nearly to death. There were also occasional references to the devil's imps and also to shape-shifting, you know, people changing into a black cat or some other animal. There were also elaborate stories of counter-magical activity. In one instance, a woman who thought herself to be bewitched ordered a servant to take a horseshoe and fling it into the oven, and when it was red hot, to fling it into her urine. <laughs> According to the servant, the remarkable tactic produced immediate and telling results. Quote, so long as the horseshoe was hot, the witch was sick at heart, and when the iron was cold, she was well again. <laughs> When a possible witch was actually prosecuted, this involved having a jury sworn in, witnesses called, and defendants interrogated. The suspect's body was carefully examined for, quote, teats, spots, and marks not usual on others. If found, these imperfections were attributed to the devil and understood to be flesh that was used as nipples to suckle his imps. In addition, the homes of defendants were searched for all kinds of images and such like things as may strengthen the suspicion. End quote there. And at least a few suspected witches were ordered to be tried in the water by ducking. This time-tested method of discovery meant that the accused would be immersed in a pool or stream. If she floated too easily, the devil was presumed to be at work on her behalf. If she sank, or better yet, if she drowned, then she was obviously innocent of her charges, all the charges that had been brought against her. It's kind of a lose-lose situation, no matter how it turned out. Well, Virginia was the first colonial site for court proceedings over witchcraft, and it also turned out to be among the last. Some trials occurred as late as 1706. Meanwhile, there were similar cases in nearby Maryland. Most of these, though, revolved around slander. A typical case involved a man named Peter Godson, who was confronted by his neighbor, Richard Manship, who'd heard Godson say that Manship's wife was a witch. Godson said he'd gone to Manship's home, and the other man's wife, allegedly as a joke, placed two straws on the floor and told Godson that if she was a witch, then he would not be able to step over them. Well, Godson did step over them, but was struck lame the following day which he claimed proved that Mrs. Manship was a witch. Well, Richard Manship sued him for libel. Godson later retracted his accusation and the court case against him was dismissed, but I'm gonna say that Godson and Manship's friendship was never really quite the same after that. Well, New York witnessed occasional witchcraft trials, including a lengthy one in 1665 that charged a Long Island couple named Ralph and Mary Hall with using certain, quote, detestable and wicked arts, commonly called witchcraft and sorcery, to cause the illness of a neighbor named George Wood and his infant child. In the end, there were no convictions. A jury found that there were some suspicions of guilt in the woman, but not enough to take away her life. Generous. Her husband was acquitted outright. 
Pennsylvania was founded in 1682, later than many of the other colonies, so it had a briefer involvement with the witchcraft trials of the era. The Quakers, who made up the majority of the population in those days, had little to do with such things, but a handful of cases did surface. In 1684, William Penn, yeah, the oatmeal guy, and his counsel conducted a full-blown prosecution of charges against two women, Margaret Matson and Greta Hendrickson. They were accused of bewitching cows and practicing other sorceries over a span of 20 years. The jury returned an unusual form of split verdict. Quote, guilty on the common fame of a witch, but not guilty in the matter and form as she stands indicted. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that means either. By the late 1600s, concern with witchcraft, at least official concern with witchcraft, was beginning to fade. Indeed, in all places outside of New England, it never really amounted to a great deal anyway. It was rarely a part of local culture, and while it could for a little while attract a lot of attention, it really never amounted to much. For the most part, what happened in America was nothing like the witchcraft frenzy that had occurred in the old world. Well, until we look at what happened to witches among the Puritans in New England. The Puritans hold a special place in American history. This group of settlers, actually two groups, the Mayflower Pilgrims who arrived at Plymouth in 1620 and the much larger contingent that arrived in Boston about a decade later, are considered America's first religious fanatics. The Puritans fled England because of persecution. They wanted a place where they could worship as they saw fit, out from under the thumb of the Church of England. They'd grown disgusted with what they saw as the church's corruption and strain from the purity that they demanded from their faith. The Puritans who settled in New England had no intention of letting go of their unyielding Bible-based convictions. They never considered democracy, not as we know it. There was no separation between church and state. Their religious beliefs influenced all community and political decisions. As God-fearing Christians, the Puritans saw the devil as their enemy, whom they needed to be always vigilant against, for Satan always lurked nearby, ready to claim the souls of anyone at any time. For the Puritans, fear and superstition were simply part of their faith. The Puritans dominated every aspect of a community's existence. Life was not easy. Hard work and prayer consumed most of a person's time. There was a genuine fear of insufficient crops and food supplies. There were illnesses and epidemics, Indian attacks and squabbles and disputes between neighbors. For the religious, they believed the wrath of their God was responsible for nearly anything that went wrong, from inclement weather to disease. If the Puritans wanted to improve their fortunes, they believed, they should spend more time being prayerful in the worship of God. Underlying many of the Puritans' problems was a feeling of helplessness and terror of the unknown. The uneasiness and anxiety of a village created the perfect climate for seeking scapegoats. Any affliction could be attributed to the eccentric, the difficult, the elderly, and those not pious enough. It was convenient to accuse them of being witches or sorcerers in league with the devil and his demons. And while the adults faced both genuine and imagined stresses, children were permitted few, if any, of the joys or freedoms associated with childhood. They were to be seen and not heard, to be obedient, industrious, and prayerful. Boys were taught skills they would need as adults, farming, building, and hunting. They learned to read and write so they could comprehend the Bible. Girls didn't need to be literate. They needed to learn cooking, sewing, and household skills. 
there was little else to break the grim monotony of their days and nights. The Puritans spent most of their time fighting the evil influences of the indigenous people, other religious faiths, and the devil, of course. But what they believed was their most sinister challenge came not from a competing sect or religion, but from the tradition of folk magic. Interest in belief in magic had crossed the ocean with the first wave of colonists and had firmly taken root in the cultural soil of America. It was frequently referred to in letters, writings, and sermons by Puritan ministers, condemning it as the practice of curing sickness and bringing good luck through conjuring. Courts studied into it most often as part of witchcraft prosecutions. Ordinary people mentioned its use and often its success in their diaries and in letters to one another. Even some of New England's leaders and authorities were among its faithful. Folk magic practitioners were known as cunning men and women and assisted those who came to them in times of need. Most of the time, it was for a cure to an illness or for divining, which was the use of occult methods to foretell the future or to find lost or stolen objects. Folk magic was truly a matter of folk, ordinary individuals who knew something of traditional lore and sought to apply it in the best way they could. They healed the sick using medicines and plants, providing help for people in ways that established medicine at the time just simply couldn't. There was a fine line between beneficial magic, like healing and divining, and diabolical magic, and in many cases the difference was in the eye of the beholder. Some magic, meant to be helpful, could easily be turned another way. Image magic was considered especially potent and dangerous. For example, the use of poppets, which was a sort of witch doll, to represent particular human targets. Treat the dolls with kindness and the intended recipient of the magic thrives but pinch, prick, or twist the poppet, and the intended victim might fall ill, break into fits, or perhaps even suffer a mortal injury. Records exist of the authorities searching a suspect's house for evidence of these dolls, and occasionally they found what they were seeking. One case filed from Boston noted the discovery of, quote, several small images made of rags and stuffed with goat hair and other ingredients. Folk magic also offered charms or counter magic that could be directed at a witch. For example, urine might be taken from a witch's victim, poured into a special container, infused with pens and nails and heated over a fire, which I'm sure smelled great. But this was supposed to cause an immediate reaction, scalding, burning, or some other painful sensation in the suspected witch, wherever she might be. This same trick might also force her to return to the scene of the crime. In one such case, a suspect was seen walking to and fro near her victim's house for several hours after a certain urine-filled bottle was opened. In this way, both revenge and identification were achieved in one stroke. The key element in every instance was a powerful line of influence that was believed to connect the witch to her victim, a sort of invisible tether with effects that could travel in either direction. Fortune-telling was also a big part of folk magic, using palms, eyes, crystal balls, the stars, keys, nails, scissors, tea leaves, and more. The list was long, and it seemed just about anything could be associated with the powers of the occult. There were charms, too, involving the use of mysterious words and letter combinations, sometimes written and sometimes spoken. There were secret healing phrases as well as spoken curses with ill words that were designed to injure. Good or bad, though, the clergy of New England kept up an intense and hate-filled opposition toward magic. 
For them, it was a sacrilege, an affront to their own authority, and most of all, to their gods. If the common people needed protection from the bad things in life, it must come from God and no one else, they thought. Suffering should be relieved through solemn prayer and not by the workings of folk magic. The true religion, as they called it, was divinely ordained. Conjuring and magic was not. Wherever magic had apparently succeeded in achieving some intended effect, its source could only be deception by the devil himself. Reverend Cotton Mather wrote about folk magic. He wrote, "'Tis in the devil's name that such things are done, and in God's name I do this day charge them as vile impedities." Just to make sure he got his point across, he added, they are a sort of witches who thus employ themselves. Puritan ministers knew that the best way to denigrate folk magic was to unfairly link it to witchcraft and the devil. As this controversy simmered, ordinary folks were often caught in the middle. Resisting the clergy's pressure to choose these people would remain Christians, remain churchgoers, remain adherents to the Puritan doctrine, yet they'd also avail themselves of magical remedies when they had to, risking the danger of being labeled as a witch. To the Puritans, a belief in witches who carried out the devil's evil deeds was as real and as constant as the devil himself. Witchcraft was against the law in most New England colonies and was punishable by death. And for good reason, it seems. The Puritans believed that witches could put spells on livestock that made the animals become ill or die. Witches even had the power to deform or kill newborn babies. It was the devil, they believed, not the high infant mortality rates of the era. An inappropriate look, a pointed finger, or harsh words might be construed as an evil curse. And it was during this time of confusion about folk magic, witchcraft, and a belief that the devil was walking among them that New England's notorious role in the saga of the American witch began. records of witchcraft being practiced in Massachusetts as early as 1637, although honestly, this case seemed to have more to do with the fact that the accused was a woman rather than that she was a witch. Anne Hutchinson, at the center of the controversy, seemed to challenge the very foundations of the Puritan establishment. The daughter of an Anglican minister, she was a unique presence for her time, deeply thoughtful, eloquent, visionary, and charismatic. The mother of 15 children, she was an amazingly energetic woman, I'd say, I'd say so, who worked as a midwife and held Bible study groups in addition to running a large household. Anne gathered a large following composed of Boston folk who attended her special worship meetings, and this served as something that attracted attention. Governor John Winthrop, her primary enemy, referred to her as a prophetess, and the term does seem fitting. Anne was greatly admired, but many others were suspicious of her. Her prophecies were laced with such wit that no one knew if they should take them seriously or not. But to the Puritans, a woman with a sense of humor, well, that was pretty much as bad as being a witch. Two years after arriving in Massachusetts, Anne's gift, said to be beyond nature, got her into trouble. She was brought before the religious authorities because, as Governor Winthrop wrote, quote, her doings gave cause of suspicion of witchcraft. 
As it turned out, she was never formally accused of being a witch. Her trial, conviction, and subsequent banishment focused instead on opinions that she had went against the Puritan faith and was defying authority. She was then, maybe as an afterthought, charged with being, quote, deluded by the devil. In addition, two of her friends, Jane Hawkins and Mary Dyer, were also accused. Jane, like Anne, was a midwife whose practice allegedly included the use of traditional fertility potions. As a result, according to Winthrop, she became, quote, notorious for familiarity with the devil. Mary and Anne had both experienced problems with childbirth. In Mary's case, the baby was stillborn and was badly deformed. Mary, too, gave birth to a severely deformed baby, which died within minutes. Such monstrous births, as they were regarded at the time, were a clear sign of some diabolical influence. The only reason that suspicions against the women did not lead immediately to witchcraft was that the usual prelude to a witchcraft trial, which was the gradual, piece-by-piece buildup of suspicion and doubt over many years, accompanied always by neighborhood gossip, was lacking in their case. All three women were relatively recent arrivals to Boston, and so were their adversaries. In a sense, neither side knew the other well enough to support a full measure of witchcraft allegations. In fact, there were no witchcraft trials in New England at all during the quarter century following the landing of the Mayflower in Plymouth Harbor in 1620. People needed to get to know each other better before they could start accusing each other of frolicking with the devil. Once they started, though, the trials went on until almost the end of the century. The communities that surrounded Massachusetts Bay, unfortunately, became well known for their witchcraft trials. A little-known case in 1648 resulted in the execution of a woman referred to only as Goodwife Kendall. Another proceeding in 1648 against Margaret Jones of Charlestown brought the same outcome. Margaret had been acting as a healer and fortune teller, and details of her methods aroused suspicions about her. Her medicines healed the sick, and yet she, quote, showed such a malignant touch as many persons she stroked or touched with any affection or displeasure were taken with deafness or vomiting or other pains or sickness. When she was searched for the devil's mark, she was found to have a, quote, apparent teat in her secret parts. A witness to her nights in prison as she awaited her trial noted the comings and goings of a familiar spirit in the shape of a little child. Well, over the course of the next few years, a number of slander cases emerged in Massachusetts communities that were filed on behalf of women against neighbors who had defamed them by intimating or openly charging that they were involved in witchcraft. Several of them have been accused of conducting meetings with the devil at their homes. In 1652, a more substantial and serious case took place in Springfield, Massachusetts. At the center of the events was a married couple, Hugh and Mary Parsons. Mary was accused of murdering her infant son. Numerous accounts and depositions were filed against them both, and the list of supernatural events of which they were accused included mysterious disappearances, strange illnesses, and injuries threatening speeches, especially by Hugh Parsons, and perhaps most important, fits in several of their apparent victims. Mary seems to have admitted her guilt, and her own testimony recounted startling details of, quote, a night when I was with my husband and good wife Merrick and Bessie Sewell in Goodman Stebbins' lot. We were sometimes like cats and sometimes in our own shape, and we were applauding 
for some good cheer. It doesn't sound like witchcraft, but it certainly sounds like something, let's say, interesting. Her conviction and execution shortly followed her confession. Hugh Parsons, although he denied all of it, was convicted and condemned to death. However, the verdict was later reversed and he fled to Rhode Island. Whatever happened to the other suspects was never recorded. What is clear, though, is that Springfield was in a great upheaval during the many months of the unfolding events, since participants in the Parsons trial came from over half of the households in town. Another striking case occurred in Boston in 1656. The defendant, Ann Hibbins, was a person of unusually high social status, as her husband, William, was not only a wealthy merchant, but an admired civic leader, a magistrate, and a member of the Court of Assistance, the colony's highest governing body. Anne doubtless shared in the prestige of her husband's position, and yet her abrasive personality frequently caused her grief. In 1640, she had engaged in a long and bitter dispute with a group of carpenters who had been hired to refurbish her house. She accused them of cheating her. A resultant lawsuit in civil court was resolved in her favor, but the manner in which she pursued the case was so aggressive that the Boston church called her to account in a widely publicized inquest. When she refused to apologize for her actions, the church first admonished and then excommunicated her. She must have been something else. Her husband pleaded on her behalf, yet he also admitted that she could be both uncharitable and very unchristian-like. Church authorities accused her of wronging him also, a complaint that Anne just really ignored. As the years passed, Anne had other problems with the townspeople of Boston, but little could be done about her because of her husband standing in the community and the fact that he was so well-liked. But when William died in 1654, Anne lost her protection, and within a few months, she was conveniently accused and arraigned as a witch. The details of her final trial have been lost, but its outcome is known. She was convicted of witchcraft and hanged. Around the same period, suspicion surrounded many other people against whom rumors of being witches would circulate for decades. Eunice Cole of Hampton, New Hampshire was one of them. There was also Elizabeth Godman of New Haven, Connecticut, Jane James of Marblehead, Massachusetts, John Godfrey of Andover, Massachusetts. These individuals all fit a classic pattern in which a reputation for practicing witchcraft might never be escaped from. And thanks to this, they were subject to repeated court prosecutions. John Godfrey's story was particularly remarkable. In one respect, it was unusual because he was a man. Within the relatively small number of accused men, most were husbands of suspected women. Their guilt was always one of association, but Godfrey was different and that he was unmarried and in fact had no family relations at all. He'd arrived in Massachusetts sometime around 1642 and had almost immediately become mixed up in a number of legal proceedings, suing numerous people and being sued in return clogging up the courts with lawsuits for debt, breaches of promise, slander, contempt for authority, and more. He won more cases against his neighbors than he lost, but he was also a frequent defendant, being accused of theft, arson, perjury, and physical assault. And not surprisingly, since he was a thorn in the side of nearly everyone around him, he was accused again and again of practicing witchcraft. 
He was an unlikable man, continually at odds with his peers and over a score of personal and usually mundane affairs. He was portrayed as angry, rough, and threatening. Now, these were all characteristics that New Englanders expected of their witches, and the accusations against him followed a typical pattern. In other words, if you made enough people angry with you in that time and place, you could expect at some point to be accused of being a witch. It seemed like the best way to put some people in their place. Well, it's notable that Godfrey remained at large to fight with his Essex County neighbors for more than three decades until his death in 1675. Five times he stood in court under formal indictment for witchcraft, which was a capital crime. And five times he narrowly escaped conviction. At least once, a jury declared him, quote, suspiciously guilty of witchcraft, but not legally guilty, according to the law and evidence we've received. Put on notice again and again, he just kept coming back for more. No one can ever truly explain the motives behind Godfrey's constant antagonism, but he simply refused to go away. And Eunice Cole was the female version of John Godfrey. She too was repeatedly accused and often prosecuted for witchcraft, but never convicted. She was also uncommonly rough and abrasive given to unseemly speeches and physical brawls. Her reputation was widely known and it would long outlive her. Tales of her supposed witchcraft entered into local folklore and was told to generation after generation. Even today, centuries later, children in Hampton know her name and tell of her supposed misdeeds and even shudder a little when they pass near her old home site. Well, the stories of Elizabeth Godman and Jane James were variations on the same theme. There were years of suspicion, occasional court trials, and acquittals each time, often accompanied by stern warning. In these cases too, though, the women lived next door to the same people who accused them of being witches for years. They became fixtures of local culture, almost as familiar as Sabbath services, autumn harvests, and barn raisings. In the 1660s, New England experienced its first witchcraft panic, and that's the best way to describe it. Accusations against alleged witches spread and multiplied like a contagion, and each new accusation was fed by the one before it. It began in Hartford, Connecticut, and while its exact origin remains unknown, it seems to have begun with the very strange fits of a young woman in town. As they developed, quote, her tongue was improved by a demon to express things which she herself knew nothing of. Well, she apparently also began speaking in what they called a Dutch tone or German, and then revealed, quote, mischievous designs by such and such persons against several neighbors. One of the accused persons was a, quote, certain lewd and ignorant woman named Rebecca Greensmith, who was already in jail, suspected of witchcraft. Going by the established procedures, the accused was examined by a group of magistrates and ministers who managed to get her to put together a pretty impressive confession. She described all sorts of familiarity with the devil, including, quote, carnal knowledge of her body and described witch meetings that occurred near her house. Some of the witches appeared in one shape, others in another, and one came flying amongst them in the shape of a crow. That's a quote. No one knows why she confessed to the things she did, although one witness to her interrogation stated that Rebecca felt, quote, as if her flesh had been pulled from her bones and she could not deny her guilt any longer. Well, this seems to suggest some sort of torture took place. Well, regardless, her statements were more than enough to bring about her conviction and a sentence of death. Her husband was also executed, even though he claimed to be innocent until the end. 
Since the fits experienced by the unnamed young woman pointed to a self-proclaimed witch who confessed to having had sex with the devil and met with other witches from around the area, there was every reason for the authorities to continue their investigation. Accusations spread out across Hartford and into neighboring towns like Weathersfield and Farmington. The details of everything that happened have been lost to history, but a few things are still known. Suspicion fell on a particular married couple and a group of townspeople decided to try the notorious ducking test. Husband and wife were both tied at their hands and feet and then thrown into the water. When they appeared to float, bystanders concluded that the devil must be holding them up. Well, the ministers who reported on the use of this procedure regarded it as an ignorant superstition and may have even tried to intervene. Now, no one knows one way or the other, but we do know the couple managed to escape. Others, of course, were not so lucky. Among the additional suspects, four were acquitted, six were convicted, and at least two were executed and made for a death toll unrealized during any other single period until events that would later occur in 1692. In the 1670s, there were incidents in Massachusetts and Connecticut and even in rarely affected Rhode Island. But the middle part of the decade brought new challenges to the American colonies and turned attention away from witchcraft for a time. The greatest distraction was King Philip's War, a horrific race war that pitted the white colonists and their Mohegan and Pequot Indian allies against Indians from five other nations. The human toll was unparalleled before or since in American history because the casualty rate approached 10% of the total colonist population, and it was even higher among the natives. As a result, in the four years between 1675 and 1679, only one accusation of witchcraft drew an indictment. But at the war's end, the pace increased with six witch trials over the next four years. There were additional indictments in the half dozen years after that, none of which resulted in convictions. It's worth noting that no one was executed for witchcraft anywhere in New England between 1663 and 1688. It began to seem as though the witchcraft craze was running its course. But then in 1688, a strong prosecution developed in Boston against an alleged witch named Glover. Her first name was not recorded. She was Irish, Gaelic speaking, and likely a Catholic, all of which would have cast her in a dubious light for most New Englanders. Her leading accusers and supposed victims were the residents of a neighboring farm who hired her to do their laundry. Well, the course of events was a familiar one. There was a dispute, angry words, fear of retaliation, and of course, fits among the neighbor's children. The result was a full-blown trial, ending in Glover's conviction, confession, and execution. Other suspects were linked to Glover and the people of Boston became more and more alarmed. The local clergy was involved, especially Cotton Mather. Eventually, the children's fit stopped and a kind of normalcy returned to the community. Glover's was the first New England witchcraft case to end in capital punishment in 25 years, but of course it wouldn't be the last. As the final decade of the 17th century began, New Englanders were feeling upset and frightened by events taking place at home and at distant corners of the colonies. On the political and military front, the major European powers, together with their various colonial possessions, were at war. 
In America, this meant New England was at odds with New France, or Canada, it was known then, and violent, though sporadic, fighting was occurring throughout the wilderness borderlands. Many of the targets included villages in Maine, New Hampshire, and New York, several of which suffered from devastating surprise attacks. But perhaps more frightening was the renewal of the witchcraft panic that had seized the region in years past. Accusations surfaced in Boston, New Haven, and Northampton. In 1692, a significant outbreak gripped the coastal Connecticut towns of Stamford and Fairfield. Those events began in March in the home of a locally prominent family when a servant girl named Catherine Branch suddenly, quote, fell into fits. The details followed a long established precedent. Wild physical contortions, trances, feigning spells, cursing and blasphemies, suggestive sexual acts, spectral confrontations with the devil, and finally, the naming of her supposed witch tormentors. Once again, it all happened in the presence of numerous enthralled onlookers, all of whom were willing to carry the tales to family and friends. After names were given, no fewer than six women were brought under suspicion. A special court was convened and dozens of witnesses offered testimony about their dealings with the accused. They all spoke of quarrels, threats made and received, cows that died mysteriously and strange injuries of every sort. The proceedings continued throughout the summer and the atmosphere surrounding them was both angry and circus-like. Local townspeople divided into opposing factions with some supporting and others doubting or dismissing outright the various charges. The doubters included several members of the court and a group of ministers whose opinion was given about the ridiculousness of the entire charade. In the end, their viewpoint prevailed with only two of the suspects being indicted. They were tried before a jury who found one of the women guilty. She was eventually freed by a committee of magistrates. But at almost the same moment that Catherine Branch was seized by Fitz in Connecticut, something similar was taking shape about a hundred miles to the north, where a group of impressionable young girls had a notion to try their fortunes, hoping to learn the identity of their future husbands by using an old divining trick of dropping an egg white into a glass to see what patterns it formed. Instead of news about their matrimonial prospects though, the girls allegedly saw a sure sign of death, leading to shock, terror, strange antics, and whispered accusations. The horror was taking place in Salem, Massachusetts, and it was about to be revealed to the rest of the American colonies. spots because you know when Trick. i find a spot you really I cannot get past it you keep hitting it and hitting it and uh-huh. hit there's a couple of them there's one that i know i went Fuck. <laughs> like that in the microphone i went oh god cody's gonna hear that son of a bitch oh that's funny <laughs> i i mean i can usually tell like i said by like looking at the audio waves but usually i listen anyway to hear like what funny mm-hmm. thing you said or oh, like because i know you leave me little notes and stuff i always like, get uh, i say uh, i will often get creative when i get frustrated a motherfucking <laughs> bitch man. all right uh, okay 
Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings Podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in season six of the podcast, Woods and Fields, Dark and Wicked. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. There's, there's, I, I guess you didn't see that thing in your contract, did you, about how you're supposed to say the title of the, the season? No. You can't just say it like that. You have to say it like spooky woods and fields, oh. dark and wicked. That's good. You have such a better radio voice <laughs> than I do. No, I feel like it. we should splice. I'll sp- I'm just going to splice. You just that made in it sound so. You just made it sound woods too, and fields, dark happy. and wicked. Yeah, yeah. Woo-hoo. Uh, no, you know, I gotta, I gotta keep. The, I gotta wake the people up. <laughs> Because I know everybody. Well, yeah. After that, after the 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 the, the, the marathon monologue that I just gave. You, oh yes. Yeah, we may have lost some people. Well, I'm also thinking people. Sleep. I'm guessing I put these episodes out usually around 3 a.m. I know mm-hmm. everybody's setting their alarms. Oh, they're getting right. up. They're yeah, listening, and I'm I'm trying to keep them. You know, I'm yeah. being their coffee because yeah. I know they're they want to they want to get down <laughs> to it. Uh, what's up, dude? We're in this. Uh, what do you call? Well, this we're back now? in the. We've been calling it the American Audience Ballroom. Okay. I mean, it's the crystal ballroom officially. That's, Lack of you know, crystal balls in here, too. Yeah, there are no crystal balls. Um, I'm not sure why it was called that originally. Although it was the restaurant at the Mineral Springs Hotel. Was there a chandelier or something, maybe? Well, or? no, there, there are some pretty lights. There, oh, it's that stuff they put in the plaster on the ceiling. I just figured it out. How sad is that? Huh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100, 108 years later. And we've talked uh, we've about figured the plaster out a lot too. Why that's up there. <laughs> now we know. Well, anyway, um, it is now the American Hauntings Crystal Ballroom. We can call it all of it if you want. But uh, this is where we have all of our events, mm-hmm. um, our dinner events. Our, our River Road tours end up here at the end of the night before we go down and visit other portions of the hotel. And um, this is uh, where we, we have a bookstore here in Alton. And this is where we have started recording our podcasts. It's so, cool. I like it. I it's like a nice it. little it's, hang. It's a nice, it's a, it's a comfortable place. It's, it's very, for me, it's very homey because I feel like I live here mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> I so. mean, it looks just like parts of your apartment or your office and stuff. So yeah. Um, well, it's been, it's been, it's been a little while. What's been going yeah, on? Yeah, a couple weeks. So yeah. not too bad. So, well, the Haunted America conference tickets went on sale. They were going on sale right after we recorded the last time and the day before this came out. But um, I should tell anybody, if you are interested in the conference, um, it, it's more than half sold out already. Damn. So we've already reached over the halfway point. Now, last year, that was not a big deal because we had a lot of carryover people from 2020. Ah, that, right, right. You know, that rescheduled for 2020. So, you know, having it half full a week and a half after the tickets went on sale was not a big deal. This year, kind of a big deal. In other words, um, if you're planning on coming, you you really need to make your plans. You got to figure it out. Uh, because it is it is filling up quickly. So, and that's exciting. Uh, we had a lot of cool stuff planned for that. Um, you could find it all on the website, of course. But um, the big thing that we should talk about right now is Dead of Winter, mm-hmm. which is coming up now in just a couple of weeks. It's going to be here before we know it. I know. Uh, i got to get a babysitter let's see. for my cat. This is um, two weeks from today. Is no, it? three weeks. Three weeks from today. Okay. But still, three weeks. Yeah. That's pretty quick. Um, if you don't know about Dead of Winter, um, you can go back to listen to every other season of the podcast mm-hmm. where we have done live shows from Dead of Winter. Uh, but Dead of Winter is an annual food drive that we do every year to raise money for local food banks. 
Um, it is one of those things that if you wait to the right amount, right amount of time into the winter, when Christmas is over, they're started running out of stuff. So this is, we like to do it in February. So it kind of restocks and believe me, it restocks a lot. Yeah. Um, the people who come to dead of winter, um, are, I I'd have to say the most generous customers guests that we have because they bring tons, literally tons uh, we had one year, we had two tons of stuff. They're, I mean, they're way nicer than donated. we are. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, that's you know, crazy. we just throw the party. They're yeah, the ones yeah. who make it happen. Uh, but um, people bring canned goods, non-perishable items, paper towels, toilet paper, uh, light bulbs, uh, socks. Mm -hmm. I mean, anything that people can use. Um, you know, it's been a tough couple of years for really everybody. Right. But for you know, people on a lower, you know, income level, it's, it's really been a tough couple of years and there's no, there's no backup plans now that's all over. And yet we're still dealing with a pandemic Sure. and there, there is no special unemployment. There's no special anything helping anybody out. They're not even child tax credits anymore. So you're really, you know, if you're, if you're in trouble, it's you, you go to your food bank and we want to make sure they've got a plenty of stuff to get through the winter. Mm -hmm. uh, so that we do that every year. And it's something we've been doing. We do it at the Mineral Springs. It's February the 12th. Uh, it starts at 10 a.m. Um, that's when Cody and I, uh, I will usually intro things. And then Cody and I usually usually kick things off with the with our live podcast. And we're doing it a little different this year. I'm not going to be uh, reading stories. We're going to be, uh, it's going to be a little more interactive this year. Because it is yes. our, it will be our 100th episode of the podcast. 100 episodes. So um, for those of you who may have heard our last episode, you know that, and we did get, we've been getting them. So thank you. Uh, but we've been asking people if you have questions questions or comments mm -hmm. or anything that you want to hear on the podcast, send it to us. Uh, you can send it to Cody at American Hauntings podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can send it to ghosts at American hauntings.net, whatever we've gotten them in both places. So, uh, send those in and we will feature them on the show. Yes. And, uh, we are also working on a podcast listener of the year. Um, it's not really a great award. You don't really get anything, no. but you will get a shout out on the show. So um, if you think maybe you are the podcast listener of the year, uh, we want to hear from you too. So tell us why you are, and uh, we're going to pick from those. It's an we're award. Gonna, we're going to give do, someone an award. I would not want to win. No, me either. But all. you know, some people like this show. Unlike us, we hate it. It's but wild. Some people Ooh. like it. Um, I've been so I have been getting questions and things like that um, coming in. But also yesterday, I received my first uh, roast of you from oh, our well. friend Kaylin, uh, which I oh, will well, also, right. uh, I'm happy with that too, which I so. will also probably include in that live show. It's a pretty good one. I think <laughs> you're going to like I'm it. I'm sure it is. Um, but yeah, podcast listener of the year, let us know what's going on. Yeah. Tell questions. Us, tell us why it's you. Questions. We'll, uh, we'll feature you in the show. Yes. Questions for dead a winner, whatever you got American hauntings podcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm really excited. I love dead a winner because I, I make this joke all the time, but it's like, it's the one nice thing a year that I do to try to offset all the other stuff. Stuff, but we always get so much stuff and we, we um, do. I don't we know do. one year I just I want to do something crazy like a helicopter and a pallet of toilet paper or something, <laughs> something or, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just do something fun but um, well yeah. you can find the details I should have said that you can find the details at AmericanHauntings.net uh, Dead of Winter is on there it's going to be as of Monday well by the time you hear this it'll be moved right up to the top of the page so you can easily find it 
and um, click on it and give you information about what's going on, what's needed, et cetera, et cetera. So we've also got a lot of dinner events and river road tours coming up in the winter and spring. I'm just going to throw that in there mm -hmm. uh, because people think there's nothing to do in the wintertime. We got all kinds of stuff to do. Yeah. Always. We've always got stuff coming up. So um, check that stuff out too. That's at dinnerandspirits.com. And then, um, you know, come see us. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we have um, some more positive listener reviews, even though we've been putting out new episodes we have a new season we're still getting nice reviews oh good um which is awesome and that's the positive feedback that <laughs> that i need um this review is from rwrea22 I, I, there's no way i can okay and it's just titled love the show and it says i'm happy that the new season has started i've missed my every other tuesday lunch entertainment as you say american hauntings is more than a podcast and it's now coffee i purchased the mm. mineral springs hotel blend and abe lincoln seance blend both are excellent is that what i'm looking at right yeah that's here? the coffee okay. right over there yeah I, ha I have not tried it yet oh yeah it's it is uh, i mean even well you know the um bad dog beanery they will be at dead of winter they'll have a little coffee shop oh, at yes. dead of winter so you can try it then mm -hmm. uh but they will uh, they'll have coffee they're going to be here with the setup uh, so you can try some of this stuff um, there from them. But they actually used to do the coffee for our store that we used to have, mm -hmm. Taylor Mercantile. In fact, it's still got the Taylor Mercantile logo on our bags. Oh, nice. So uh, we kept it on there. But um, they used to do the coffee for us. And, is, and I'm not a big coffee drinker, but that's good coffee. It's good stuff? Yeah, it's really good. So Awesome. I'll have to try it out. Yeah. Whenever I had an office to go into when that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, um, when that was a thing. It was, you know, startup, hipsters, all that stuff. So we had a ton of, like, different ways sure. to make coffee and everything. Sure. And there were, there was a coffee club. Like, people were really oh, into yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and so I learned a lot about it. But my favorite trick, what I used to do, is I would just stop drinking coffee for, like, two weeks and then hit it really hard on, like, a Monday and just be <laughs> fucked up oh, well, yeah, all yeah, day. I be loved it. Yeah, flying yeah. high. And then yeah. you, you let your tolerance go down again and then hit it again and <laughs> Um, but if you when you start depending on it every morning, oh, I was yeah, like, uh. sure, I can see that. But if it's really, really good, oh, yeah, man, I'm yeah. excited. Okay, I'm gonna try it out. All right, um, are you ready to dive sure. in? Yeah, to yeah, absolutely. This episode, okay. There's, I know it's a, a lot to take. There's in. a lot going on. Yeah, we're gonna talk about witches and the colonists, and 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 generally lay the groundwork here. For, for our next several episodes. For the next, next several few episodes. episodes. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. Um, okay. <laughs> can you, first off, can you explain to me kind of, you, you talk about this in the episode, and maybe it's because I haven't heard it, I've just read it, but can you talk to me about the difference between magic and like foreign religions and, and those sorts of things? Like, you, so there are people that would like practice some things, but then also then go to church. Like, well, you're talking about I'm, folk magic. Yeah, yes, um, yes. Which magic. is the majority of what, you know, was going on at the time mm -hmm. um the 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 witchcraft that they carried over from or the idea of the witchcraft they carried over from europe was always about you know uh worshiping satan mm -hmm. and always doing you know evil things because that's what they knew from Europe, yeah. where, where the real witch trials were. You know, we talk about, in our next episode, you know, we're going to talk about Salem. And we, in this episode, we talk quite a bit about witch trials, you're people spoiled. being accused, well, only a little, okay. accused of witchcraft and things like that. But what we find in America was that most of the time that was based on, well, it was based on like bad neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and if you had a, uh, if you had a problem with someone, you could accuse them of being a witch and 
they're, they're screwed right. because the religious authorities at the time who were also mostly, at least in New England, were also the government mm-hmm. um, who ran everything. Um, they truly believed in witchcraft because in Europe, the, the, the witchcraft trials and I mean, we're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people yeah. were tortured and killed for being witches. It was a it was a mania. It was a frenzy. Nothing. We never saw anything like that here. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there were a lot of people who were persecuted and tortured. And for the most part, what you would find, it would be old people or unusual people or, you know, somebody, a couple of the people I talk about in this episode were just assholes. Yeah. I mean, essentially they were just assholes yeah. and people didn't like them. So you accuse them of being a witch. Mm-hmm. Now is, that doesn't mean they were even doing anything. Doesn't mean you should be put but, to death. <laughs> now, but it was easy for the Puritans to point to the people who were, and when I say folk magic, by that I mean a lot of, yes, there were often spells and charms involved, but that's the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. The real, most of what was going on was herbal healing, herbs, um, you know, things that were outside what they considered to be medicine, which, you know, medicine was not really much of anything, but when you're using plants and herbs and roots and powders and you are doing things for people, I mean, folk magic, a lot of it was a sympathetic magic thing. And I got to take this one piece at a time. Sure, sure, Very, it can be very confusing, but let's start with the healing thing with a lot of these, these people, especially these women, were, were outside the norm because they were doing things that women weren't supposed to be doing, Let's for starters. <laughs> reading. <laughs> uh, reading, yes, things like that. Being um, So, you know, when people were getting sick, you know, they would have a powder or a root that might, that might help, you know, mm-hmm. cures a headache or something. Nobody else had anything like that. There was no medicine to speak of sure. at the time. Um, or, you know, they were midwives or they were, you know, Bandaging people up and and realizing that if you didn't keep it clean and if you didn't keep some kind of salve on and it was going to get infected, they didn't understand germs or things like that, but they knew enough of this. So there was a lot of that going on and that bothered the Puritans because as far as they were concerned, if you were sick, then you aren't praying hard enough. That's essentially what it boiled down to. Um, There was also a lot of charms and spells and things that kind of went with the roots and the powders. Because if you are, let's say that you're taking some kind of powder to cure your, let's say you're, you've been throwing up for a week and you, you know, you need something that's going to help you with your nausea. And there's a plant that does that. They give it to you, but it's going to really make you feel better about it. And it's probably going to work better if you believe it. Yeah, of course. And if you've got a spell that you can say along with it, that's even better because in your head, I'm not going to debate the reality of magic. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying though, is that with sympathetic magic, you believe in it. As long as you believe in it, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to work better. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's the power of positive thinking, in whatever you want to say. It's been around forever. You know, it's yeah. been around forever. So of these were the kinds of things that people were doing. And so when you could go to church, you could be a good church goer, but you know, if you had a toothache, you know, the lady down the road that mixes up charms and, herbs and roots, you're going to go see her because she's going to have something that's going to cure your headache. Right. And if that means you've got to say a little spell to go along with it, well, then that's the way it goes. Give me that Novocaine. Exactly. (laughs) So, but the Puritans, that did not fly with them. And so that's why in New England, 
they had such a hatred for, and I know I'm jumping way ahead. No, yeah, but it's fine. That's why they had such a hatred for folk magic, mm-hmm. is because to them it was the it was the work of the devil, right? Or it was the work of the Native Americans, or the work of the Africans that were <laughs> people different than slaves. Us. Anybody who was different than they were, yeah. Um, they were they were white. They were plain. They were strict. They were religious, and it was their way or the highway, and that's why. You know, as we find later in this episode that, you know, the New England area saw the majority of the witch trials Mm -hmm. and the majority of the accusations because even, well, I I was just about to say even strict religious people, especially strict religious people, found that there were ways to screw over other people because they wanted their land or they wanted their property or they just wanted them out of their business or wanted to take over their business. A good way to do that is to accuse someone of being a witch. Mm -hmm. And you were probably, there's a good chance you could lose everything. And including your life if it really went far enough. That's so crazy. Strict religious people not understanding and believing in science. I know. Isn't it crazy? It's a weird thing. No, it's crazy. Um, So so that all all is very interesting. And something I was thinking about uh, when I was going over these episodes and everything, I was thinking about if you, if you believe in God and creation and he put these, everything, the world together and all this stuff, it's like, why wouldn't you think, okay, maybe he put this plant here that can help us yeah. compared to somebody who's yeah. screaming at the sky. Are you, that are you seems... trying to get me to get people mad at me again? No, but just that but, screams. But are you trying to? Because you know what I could say to this, right? Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, okay, and I'm yeah, not yeah. going to say it okay, well, don't. I'm not going to get us I don't, more But it trouble. just seems like that seems more witchcraft and scary to me. It's I just, know, right? getting on your knees and yelling up into space and yeah. hoping something happens. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's the irony. But, um, okay, a couple of things I wanted to ask about. Um, which trials took time to happen because accusers needed to build a case over time, you said? Which I, I didn't know that. Right. I that's thought not it was an just imme- like, That's not an witch. immediate thing. You can accuse someone of being a witch, and then they would be taken before you know a tribunal or a group of ministers or whatever, and they would kind of run the first check on like it. Like a grand jury sort yeah, of thing? Kind of. Like yeah, it is kind of like that. Okay. And then if you were found that you were probably or there's a good possibility you were a witch, then you would be bound over for trial. Uh-huh. But they would bring people in and would question them and bring in witnesses to tell questions about how they were, you know, their cow died or their chickens died. She turned or me into she, a newt. Oh, some of this stuff's crazy. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, I, I did talk quite a bit about some of this stuff about chickens dying and, and people claiming that they're being ridden by witches and, and yeah. that they witness you know, they witnessed them meeting out in the woods, you know, for a, for a Sabbath with the devil and, you know, like the yeah. end of the, the witch, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. But, you know, I um, like that part. yeah, it's, it's, you know, or, or, you know, or they would take the, they, they love urine in these stories. Yeah. yeah there's a lot I, of urine, a lot of urine going that. on. And, um, or the, 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 the one I like is let's throw them in the pond. And if they sank, oops, they must've been innocent. If they don't sink, then, oh, they must be a witch, so let's hang them. So, I, I mean, talk about lose-lose. I don't you know. fucking get it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but, I mean, but they, these were things that were done. This is and so, so and, they, and they would check, they would strip these. Now, see, when we talk about the, you talk about the witch trials in Europe, and they were very graphically, 
I mean, you've got like monks and priests who are stripping women down and sticking hot pokers in their vaginas. Yeah. And I mean, just insane, really insane stuff. I mean, it's bad enough that in a lot of these, they were stripping these women down looking for a mark, a witch's mark on their body. Right. Um, which if you found one, and it could be anything, it could be a pimple, it could be a mole, it could be, it could be anything. And that they saw that as evidence that you are, that you have so a familiar or an imp that you are are feeding yeah. with this this nipple, which is not a nipple, but they say that it is. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so that's and you could be that's they that's evidence that you are a witch. Dumbest fucking I know. It's it's insane, but it 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 served a lot of purposes. Well sure. To you know, to a lot of people. And it's also was all it was all just insanity, mm -hmm. religious insanity. It, it is a it's a, the best example of a mania that we saw in that early part of the country. And believe me, there, there have been plenty of others over the years. I mean, there are huge. Name 10. Yeah, well, that's easy. I got an entire book of it. Sure. You, know, um, you know, I've got a whole book of, of religious mania that I wrote. Um, so, but there's been a lot of it, but this is really the first. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the first time that we saw people just losing their minds over... <sighs> You want to say it's over religion, but I'm not sure that covers all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's an insanity and there's a mental illness, a hysteria involved in this that just goes beyond just religious mania. I think you no, know? it's probably people um, people who wanted to inflict pain on others. Yeah, too, yeah, kind of absolutely. Taken, and it's you know, I'm sure power trips. To, yeah, power trips. Yeah, definitely. You know, because that's what I mean. Really, being the Puritans, that's what it was about. I mean, they left England because they didn't feel the Church of England was pure enough for them because they could do it better. Right. And as I always like to say, they left England because they were persecuted so they could come to America and persecute people here. <laughs> yes. You know, so I don't think that's all that uncommon, but you really get it with them. Um, okay, my last question before we start having a, a more organized, I guess, conversation about this, but why is it that, um, I guess, especially portrayed in movies, television shows, things like that, um, why is it that you they see we see witches burned when a lot of times they were in England hanged. in England there were quite a few of them who were burned um that was much more common there okay um i mean and it didn't happen all the time but it looks better in a movie that's fair i true. think that's a big part of it but there were a lot of witches burned um in England and Spain and Europe but in this country uh, I think it's pretty rare. Somewhere I've got a breakdown of the numbers. I don't. Oh, okay. I don't have it in this. You got stats? Um, I do. I think it's in my Devil and All His Works book. I think I've got the breakdown in there. But mostly in this country, they were hanged. Um, and we'll talk more about a couple of things in the next episode. But normally, hanging was how ex witches were executed. At uh, least in this you country. Know, firewood's not plentiful. I understand. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, um, okay, I suppose. so if you okay, you you have to pick. You get either hanged, burned, or crushed with rocks. Which one are you picking? Which, which way are you going uh, out? Um, well, I wouldn't go with burned, so I guess I'd go with hanged. I think I'd go with hanged, too. Maybe yeah, hope my neck Maybe breaks. it'd be quick, you know, oh. if it's a short... I mean, but I don't get the impression. These weren't like... You know, we say the gallows, but we really just mean a tree. Right, I right. Think. So I don't know that 
I don't, I don't think the, the scientific methods came in for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think at this point they were probably, you know, building a gallows where you had a certain amount of drop. <laughs> just so three guys pulling you snap. Yeah, I think you just strangled, uh, which oh. I guess would be better than being burned, I suppose. I so, guess. I mean, I don't know. You know. If you've ever been hung or burned, you know, tweet at us. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let us know how that went. Uh, so. Anyway, okay, so... Uh, Records are scarce from early settlers, like you talked about. What we know come from stories, letters, diaries, um, things that kind of survive from people coming over on boats. Uh, you already talked about them trying to escape the devil, only to find him waiting in the woods for <laughs> fields of America. Witches are plentiful were plentiful in America. They were found among settlers, but the real terror was about black magic being practiced by the Native Americans who didn't even know who the devil was. Right, right. And well, I, that was, but that was the kind of those. That was the writing that. They were getting travel stories. See, travel books, um, I could, well, we will later in the season, we'll get into a story where, okay. a, where, a, where a travel guide got some people into a lot of trouble. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, but, you know, travel writings were usually written by sometimes people who weren't even, who didn't even go there. But sometimes they would be written by people who did make a trip there and were scared by Indians. So went back and wrote about how, you know, terrifying and horrible they uh, were. Okay. So hence you end up with, them being, you know, ma you know, black magic minions of the devil, and I mean, which would mean nothing to the Native Americans. Sure. So you just look at you with a confused exactly. face, like what? Exactly. And also, you already plugged it, but I did put a note in here to talk about your book, uh, "The Devil and All His Works." It's, oh it's, yeah, it's. I think that's my favorite book. That, oh yeah. That yeah. you that I like that book written or that it I've was read of yours. Um, yeah, it's awesome. A little and more serious than a lot of my books. It is not, not uh, very conversational. Usually, you're very jokey, <laughs> yeah. and you're no. Um, but I, multiple people like of, that. Have, my friends that are a little bit more religious have like seen that book either on my shelf or like on my Instagram and they're like, hold on, dude. And I'm like, you got to learn these things. Like yeah. I could, you could, if you read this, you might figure out why you are afraid well, of this book. Well, what's interesting about that book is what I always say is that I wrote that book really just to prove that we're the devil. Sure. Okay. That, that it's not a separate entity that we we did all these things. I think the devil's just know. like Santa Claus. Just yeah. use the keep children, like make children yeah. behave. Um, and we are, we are children. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, this is actually just titled, I'll see you in court. Um, so <laughs> a lot of these stories pretty much just came from people just wanting to sue other people. Uh -huh. Like you said, just kind of yeah. like you piss me off. Absolutely. So, so we, we say that you're a witch, you know, my, my cow quit giving milk, you know, my, uh, my kids got sick. You looked at them funny. Right. You waved a finger in my direction and put a curse on my family. Seriously. These are the kinds of things people would take to court. That's so crazy. Um, so you wonder, you know, we, we laugh about, you know, our court system getting clogged up with silly things like people spilling their coffee on them. From <laughs> Especially the in Madison County. And yeah, but imagine this stuff being brought into court. Now, right. You know, and it was, and these were actual courts. Serious this, this allegations. Was not, this, there wasn't like a special witch court down the street where yeah. people went for frivolous things that were ridiculous. These were the trials. This is what was going on. Right. You know, there's a, well, what do we got on the docket today? Well, we've got two murders. Uh, we got three robberies and uh, some guy says his neighbor's a witch. Okay, bring them in. I mean, it was taken seriously. There's got to be some some somebody is in that room just rolling their eyes until they. Uh, pass I don't think out. so. There, I don't well, think so. Talk, at the time, you did there are a talk few about people. One guy who there was are, like, well, that fed guy. Up. But there are a few people who who just were like, "Oh, come on." Yeah, yeah. You know, and wouldn't let it, and just would go, "This is ridiculous." But there were enough people who took it seriously yeah. that it it really, you know, it. <laughs> 
it became a part of our history for sure. almost a century. I mean, you know, I, a good 75 years of witch trials in this country. That's how fucked up this country is. And I can see like it was, much, is whatever. Well, as much yeah. as like I would want to call that shit out, like if it's if it's either no, prove but you my point don't. or get killed, I'd right. be like, I shut the that's fuck the thing. Up. People didn't. People I would shut, shut up. up. How do you think some of these things happen? Yeah, yeah. When, you know, they'd have a run and, you know, hang a dozen people. People were afraid to speak up I don't because be you'll next be one. next. Yep. Yeah. You know, wait on our next episode. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, fucking, yeah. Girls are the worst. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, yeah. We already talked about the trial by ducking. Is this where that Monty Python skit came from? All those Monty Python okay. skits come from. Okay. Me. Yes. Yeah. Oh, holy grail. Um, uh, well, and I always like to say, somebody will say, well, I didn't expect that. And I said, well, that's because no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> you all, so you do. I always, say that all the time. <laughs> you do always say that. Well, so I do have a question. Um, I don't know if you know this as far as timelines go, but like, how long are we talking from like trial, conviction, execution? Like, how long is that stuff? You know, I think that can vary. Um, I know that in some cases where they would bring people in for, you know, the examination and decide they could sit in jail they could sit in jail for a week. They could sit in jail for a month. Um, a lot of times, you know, when we say trials, mm -hmm. we're often not talking about an official trial. We're talking about the examinations. Okay. And, then, and then when they bring in a court for, of magistrates for an actual trial, uh, that's a little more formal. And you're not, you, don't, you can't hang anybody without putting them on trial. So you can't just do it off an examination. So they're going to have to sit until... You know, um, because there was, wasn't always a judge mm. in town. You would just have like this, a magistrate or a guy who was uh, okay. kind of like a step up from a justice of the peace kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they would say, oh, okay, well, we've got enough evidence here that this person's a witch. So when we put them on trial and then you have to wait for judges to be there and set up a panel, then they come, then they have a trial. And then at that point, you're guilty or not guilty. And that's when you'll be hung. And most of the time you were guilty. Right. Um, when you're most of the time, if you're accused of a witch, not every time, because we talked about some people who did go free. But most of the time, um, if they found enough evidence that you were a witch, you're screwed. So yeah, well, you, <laughs> you, did, you did mention like sometimes it would just be like a public apology or a fine. Yes. But then yeah. other people were killed. Well, yeah, it, well, the, because the people with the public apology or the fine usually uh, would be able to get away with that just from the hearing uh, and okay. would be given a, something, some kind of thing they had to do. Um, but I think that before they could execute anybody, you had to go on trial. Gotcha. So You're like, okay, yep, you got me. Yeah, um, right, I'm right, witch, right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you did talk about a couple of uh, what I've called hardcore witches. Uh, John Godfrey, <laughs> unusual because he's a man. Right. Uh, right. Starts like you said, probably one of the assholes you were kind of talking about. Yeah, he was. Yeah, for sure. Stood in court five times over thirty years, accused of witchcraft. Just a guy that likes to push his luck, I guess. Yeah, well, and it, it, yeah, because it actually, it was kind of a case of where he wasn't just, I mean, he wasn't just accused of being a witch. He was like, you know, he sued all kinds of people and then they would sue him. Um, then he ended up being, you know, put it he was accused of being a theft, arson, perjury, all kinds of stuff. So he was back and forth in and out of court, usually he was suing someone else. So, I mean, this was a perfect kind of guy and a jerk that, I mean, not only was he a jerk, but I mean, there's nothing about him that says, oh, he must be a witch. Mm -hmm. He's practicing black magic. 
No, he was just a pain in everyone's ass. <laughs> right. So that's what you do. You accuse him of being a witch because you figure if I can't get him for physical assault or arson, then I'm going to get him for being a witch because let's be honest, the evidence you need to put somebody away as a witch, really not that strong. Yeah, that's pretty clever, so, I guess. Yeah. I'm yeah. so tired so of this It's a good way to get rid of him. So. Oh, um, and then uh, you talk about Rebecca Greensmith. She and her husband are both executed. Uh, it says that she described all sorts of f familiarity with the devil, yeah, including carnal yeah. knowledge of her body. Does that mm -hmm. mean she fucked the That's devil? The, according to her, that was her story. Interesting. So, yeah, that was that was her story. So, and there was the one I kind of commented on and made kind of a a remark about about a well, somebody who witnessed a bunch of witches out in a pasture obviously having uh, described as having an orgy. Mm -hmm. um, I did make a little comment on that because I thought it was an interesting <laughs> description. So, okay. yeah. All yeah. right. So, well. but yeah, but yeah, she, that's what she claimed. And that was something that would a lot of people, and again, that's one of those things that you used to hear a lot more in like the, the witch trials from Europe. Mm -hmm. You'd hear about people having sex with the devil and there were all kinds of descriptions of what his penis looked like and all kinds of stuff. And it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's some interesting stuff. Is it like a snake with a pitchfork? Yeah, no, no. But it's just like, where do people come up with this stuff? You know, and mm -hmm. and I understand why they did it. I mean, I you, well, and like some of these people you talk about, you know, that like Rebecca Greensmith. Why is she confessing? Yeah, you know, um, and it, that's I always find that to be a good question. Why in the world do these people confess? Now, sometimes I think it's to stop them from being tortured. Sure. Or in some cases, if you confess, um, there's a chance that you can be, you know, absolved and right, go right, right. free. But if you claim that you're innocent, you're screwed. Yeah. Because they are going, if they think you're a witch and you say you're innocent, they're going to hang you for sure. It's all the evidence you, you need. You know, so it's, yeah, it's kind of like the being tossed in the pond, you right. know. Um, it's a lose-lose no matter how you look at it. But yeah, I, I've never, I've never understood sometimes why they confess. Dude, as you, you know? put me in an interrogation room and you make it 59 degrees, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear <laughs> in 45 minutes. I will tell you absolutely anything. So I can understand a little bit with that. Um, oh God, that, that's terrible. Um, but, 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 it's Salem's around the corner, man. I mean, yeah. that, we've really yeah. laid the groundwork here for yep. two weeks In two weeks. We'll yeah. be back with our, our Salem episode, which I think, um, takes all of the stuff from this episode and moves it into one story mm -hmm. where you hear all of this stuff, but all at once. Sick. And then, and then you put it on steroids because yeah. nothing we've talked about today will even compare to this what happened is, yeah, in Salem. Just, it's like the practical application of yeah, it. And it's, it's Salem witch trials, not sexy, just frustrating as yes. hell. Yeah, they're insane. They're really <sighs> it's insane. So ridiculous. So I don't know. I'm going to try that next time somebody pisses me off, start flailing and screaming. And just, <laughs> um, Accuse them of being a witch. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, okay, so... We have some new Patreon supporters, um, subscribers, and I just want to say thank you very much for supporting the show, Terry. And I also received a message on Instagram 
from one of our listeners, Jordan, whom I talked to randomly. Um, she said, I was at Barnes and Noble because, because dopamine and the guy <laughs> checking me out, um, was making small talk about the books I was buying. He told me he just started reading a book about ax murders. So obviously I was like, dude, you need to listen to this podcast. And the girl at the next register was like, yes, probably more exciting for me than you, but I've never run into anyone who <laughs> already knows about American Hogs podcast. Anyway, it made my day. Happy Friday, which is awesome. Cool. People, people know That's who nice. we are. Um, and don't, I mean, well, they know who we are and didn't hate us. So, <laughs> well, yeah, is, that's a plus that, right that's there. That's the yeah. plus. Yeah, that's the plus. Um, and I probably should have said this earlier. It's now time for our ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre or a question in general for Dead of Winter, you yes. can email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. This email comes to us from Hillary and the subject is Podcast Rex. It says, hi, Troy and Cody. Mostly Cody because I get the vibe. He's predominantly in charge of answering these. Uh, I've been <laughs> yep. a longtime fan of Troy's and somehow only discovered the podcast a few months ago. I've been listening nonstop ever since. It's fantastic. You both do a terrific job. I'm officially caught up and feeling uh, the, that slight letdown of not having a new episode to listen to right away. So I was wondering, I'm a big fan of Western Europe hauntings and ghost stories, namely the UK, Ireland, France. I'm wondering if either of you know of a good podcast that covers similar content to yours, but based in Europe. Thanks again for all you do and keep it up. Do you know any podcasts? I listen to a podcast called Uncanny. Okay. Um, actually, I will give you two recs by the same guy. Danny Robbins does a podcast called Uncanny, but he also did one called um, uh, the, the Battersea Poltergeist. And both of them are based in Britain. Um, the Uncanny has other stories around Europe. That's really the only European ones I listen to, but I would recommend them both. Mm -hmm. um, the Battersea Poltergeist is just phenomenal. And Uncanny... Uh, it's only had one UFO episode, which I did not listen to, but I listened to all the others. I thought, <laughs> I thought I, you were kind of getting I, into some of the UFO. UFO. No, I don't really. I thought you told UFOs. me some of that shit started to be interesting to you. No, Didn't we really. have that conversation? No, it wasn't me. It was someone else. You dreamed it. Dude, it wasn't that's me. Totally you. But uh, I do, I do recommend Uncanny. It is a good web. It is a good, a good show. Uh, I like that one. Um, that's really the only. I don't uh, believe it or not. I don't listen to a lot of. Um, paranormal podcasts i don't they really just don't either. really i'm just tired there are a few i mean i mostly listen to horror movie podcasts and true crime podcasts mm -hmm. and then i got a couple that are just kind of a daily thing that are you know i just enjoy but um your daily affirmation podcast. you no, are no, enough I, uh, you are no enough. i listen to the steve Dahl podcast <laughs> the guy out of chicago so which i've been listening to since like 1982 so when he was on the radio but um I uh, I don't listen to a lot of paranormal podcasts, but I do listen to those. Mm -hmm. uh, those are both really good. And every once in a while, one will pop up that I do listen to. Yeah. So it just it just varies. It really does. I would also recommend there's a podcast called Unexplained with Richard McLean Smith. Um, to be honest, I haven't listened to it in a couple seasons, uh, but I saw he just published a new episode not too long ago, and. Um, it's ba it's just a scripted monologue, uh -huh. uh, but he definitely is. I Good think he's story. from oh, the UK. Astonishing legends. Astonishing legends. But that's yeah. not. It's not exclusively that's not Europe. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not really Europe or England, um, and it's not exclusively paranormal. But but yeah, I do like those. They'll guys. talk about a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're into more horror comedy stuff, last podcast on the left has covered some UK stuff, um, and um, yeah, I think that's. Yeah. That's probably it. I don't know if any of our listeners have any yeah, recommendations. Yeah, send them in and we'll pass them on. Yeah, so send them on. I have to. her email address, so yeah. I, can, yeah. I can hit you up. So thank you, Hillary. That's all I got, man. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess really I just want to say thanks for listening. 
Um, and thanks for continuing to share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for continuing to give us reviews, even the bad ones, because we're going to use them all at Dead of Winter. Oh boy, so mean, yes. tweets. mean um, tweets. So anyway, thanks for uh, thanks for the reviews and things. Uh, review us on iTunes, even if you don't listen to us on iTunes. Uh, just because it, it does help us a lot that way. And that's the only place that we can really find the reviews. Right. <laughs> They're easier to find there. So, uh, but I do want to mention, uh, Cody mentioned Patreon real quickly. Um, check us out on Patreon. Uh, it's at patreon.com American hauntings. Uh, we do, we just sent out a bunch of new packets to everybody who signed up uh, back in December. So everybody's got a bunch of new stuff in the mail. Uh, we do special things. Uh, there are different levels of the podcast that you can get involved with. Uh, we really appreciate the support. Um, as Cody can tell you, uh, well, anybody can tell you if you go back and listen to our early episodes and then listen to these that <laughs> Shit got that's, rough. that's, that's a, the reason why is because we actually have stuff that works now, uh, rather than how we used to do it. Uh, so that's always been a plus. Um, don't forget one other thing. Use the podcast discount code. Oh, yeah. Guys, we, I, I, I always want to stress that. And people are finally starting to remember again. That I if forgot. you go to AmericanHauntings.net uh, and you want to buy books, all you got to do is put in the word podcast and it'll give you 10% off automatically. So, and there's bigger, bigger discounts you can get through Patreon. So, that's true. But anyway, uh, that's, that's it for me. So thank you guys for... Um, for uh for tuning in for another season and we hope you're liking this new season mm -hmm. um if you're not you cannot blame cody this was completely my idea Aww, i sprung so nice. it on him and so if you're not liking the way this is going hang in there for one thing because this this season is going to go in a lot of different directions but hopefully you're enjoying it and yeah. uh if you are or aren't let us know I mean, you, I'm not going to change. Yeah, if you it's don't like it, for the whole we year. don't care. I guess I'm going to have to say you're don't listen. But you know, uh, still, we we'd love to to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, within reason. So. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's it for me. I don't. So I don't want to make this too peppy and piss Troy off against this episode of the American well, no, no, Podcast. You don't, you don't. It was. It's only the title. It was written by Troy Taylor and it's produced all. and edited by me. I was just complaining. Okay. Cody Beck. Sorry. Music for this season is performed by Troy's good friend that I don't think exists, Packy Lundholm. <laughs> Well, you know this is not me playing the music. That's you know this is not I've true. I've never seen you yes, play the guitar. Exactly. So I've never you seen you not Packy play the guitar. Real, so you can check out Packy and find out about his music and upcoming shows on Twitter, Instagram, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and Facebook, and at in our Pac show notes. In our show notes, show yes. Notes. Uh, and you can find us on most of those places too. Plus, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. You can find the website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com. Do you keep have you been keeping that up? What the podcast? website yeah okay i'm yeah. just asking well yeah. there for a while people bitching sometimes people i always bitching, forget so. sometimes i forget yeah but see, no but for with good reason then apparently yeah so, well, right. well see you know okay here's the thing <laughs> somebody went into the to the americanholicspodcast.com slash episodes and the latest episode wasn't there because it was on the front page of the website uh, and they were like where is it and i was like i didn't put it there yet because it was enough wow, that i could do to get up new. at 6 a.m and that's get it um, there. the easy part but so. um but no, all right sorry I've, I've definitely fucked that up before. But um, yeah, check out AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, all that fun stuff. Thanks for listening. We couldn't, and we just, we wouldn't. Definitely wouldn't. We would yeah. not uh, do it without you. <laughs> so until next time, goodbye. So long. See, See you later. later. Awesome. So that was different kind of episode, I think. But yeah. I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs>